Section 22 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Piano in Arkansas by Thomas Bangs Thorpe. Read by Marty Chris. We shall never forget the excitement which seized upon the inhabitants of the little village of Hard Scrabble as the report spread through the community that a real piano had actually arrived within its precincts. Speculation was afloat as to its appearance and its use. The name was familiar to everybody, but what it precisely meant no one could tell. That it had legs was certain, for a stray volume of some literary traveler was one of the most conspicuous works in the floating library of Hard Scrabble and said traveller stated that he had seen a piano somewhere in new england with its pantalets on also an old foreign paper was brought forward in which there was an advertisement headed soiree which informed the citizens generally that mr bobolink would preside at the piano this was presumed by several wiseacres who had been to menagerie to mean that mr bobolink stirred the piano with a long pole in the same way that the showman did the lions and the rhinoceros so public opinion was in favor of it being an animal though a harmless one for there had been a land speculator through the village a few weeks previously who distributed circulars of a female academy for the accomplishment of young ladies these circulars distinctly stated the use of the piano to be one dollar per month. One knowing old chap said if they would tell him what a soiree meant, he would tell them what a piano was, and no mistake. The owner of this strange instrument was no less than a very quiet and very respectable late merchant of a little town somewhere north, who, having failed at home, had emigrated into the new and hospitable country of Arkansas for the purpose of bettering his fortune and escaping the heartless sympathy of his more lucky neighbors, who seemed to consider him a very bad and degraded man because he had become honestly poor. The newcomers were strangers, of course. The house in which they were setting up their furniture was too little arranged to admit of calls, and as the family seemed very little disposed to court society, all prospects of immediately solving the mystery that hung about the piano seemed hopeless. In the meantime, public opinion was rife. The depository of this strange thing was looked upon by passers-by with indefinable awe, and as noises unfamiliar sometimes reached the street, it was presumed that the piano made them, and the excitement rose higher than ever. In the midst of it, one or two old ladies, presuming upon their age and respectability, called upon the strangers and inquired after their health, and offered their services and friendship. Meantime, everything in the house was eyed with great intensity, but, seeing nothing strange, a hint was given about the piano. One of the new family observed, carelessly, that it had been much injured by bringing out, that the damp had affected its tones, and that one of its legs was so injured that it would not stand up, and for the present it would not ornament the parlor. Here was an explanation indeed. Injured in bringing out, damp affecting its tones, leg broken, "'Poor thing!' ejaculated the old ladies with real sympathy as they proceeded homeward. "'Traveling has evidently fatigued it. The Massasip fogs have given it a cold, poor thing, and they wished to see it with increased curiosity. 
The village agreed that if Moses Mercer, familiarly called Mo Mercer, was in town, they would have a description of the piano and the uses to which it was put. And fortunately, in the midst of the excitement, Mo arrived, he having been temporarily absent on a hunting expedition. Moses Mercer was the only son of old Mercer, who was and had been in the state senate ever since Arkansas was admitted into the Union. Mo, from this fact, received great glory, of course. His father's greatness alone would have stamped him with superiority. But his having been twice in the Capitol when the legislature was in session stamped his claims to preeminence over all competitors. Mo Mercer was the oracle of the renowned village of Hard Scrabble. Mo knew everything. He had all the consequence and complacency of a man who had never seen his equal and never expected to. Mo bragged extensively upon his having been to the capital twice, of his there having been in the most fashionable society, of having seen the world. His return to town was therefore received with a shout. The arrival of the piano was announced to him, and he alone of all the community was not astonished at the news. His insensibility was considered wonderful. He treated the piano as a thing that he was used to and went on, among other things, to say that he had seen more pianos in the capital than he had ever seen woodchucks, and that it was not an animal, but a musical instrument played upon by the ladies, and he wound up his description by saying that the way the dear creatures could pull music out of it was a caution to horse owls. The new turn given to the piano excitement in hard scrabble by Mo Mercer was like pouring oil on fire to extinguish it, for it blazed out with more vigor than ever. That it was a musical instrument made it a rarer thing in that wild country than if it had been an animal, and people of all sizes, colors, and degrees were dying to see and hear it. Jim Cash was Mo Mercer's right-hand man. In the language of refined society, he was Moe's toady. In the language of hard scrabble, he was Moe's wheelhorse. Cash believed in Moe Mercer with an abandonment that was perfectly ridiculous. Mr. Cash was dying to see the piano, and the first opportunity he had alone with his coyote, he expressed the desire that was consuming his vitals. We'll go at once and see it, said Mercer. Strangers, echoed the frightened Cash. Humbug! Do you think I have visited the capital twice and don't know how to treat fashionable society? Come along at once, Cash, said Mercer. Off the pair started. Mercer all confidence and Cash all fears as to the propriety of the visit. These fears Cash frankly expressed, but Mercer repeated for the thousandth time his experience in the fashionable society of the capital and pianos, which he said was synonymous and he finally told Cash to comfort him that, however abashed and ashamed he might be in the presence of the ladies, he needn't fear of sticking, for he would pull him through. A few minutes' walk brought the parties on the broad galleries of the house that contained the object of so much curiosity. The doors and windows were closed, and a suspicious look was on everything. Do they always keep a house closed up this way that has a piano in it? asked Cash mysteriously. Certainly, replied Mercer. The damp would destroy its tones, repeated knocks at the doors, and finally at the windows, satisfied both Cash and Mercer that nobody was at home. 
In the midst of their disappointment, Cash discovered a singular machine at the end of the gallery, crossed by bars and rollers and surmounted with an enormous crank. Cash approached it on tiptoe. He had a presentiment that he beheld the object of his curiosity, and, as its intricate character unfolded itself, he gazed with distended eyes and asked Mercer with breathless anxiety what that strange and incomprehensible box was. Mercer turned to the thing as coolly as a north wind to an icicle and said that was it. That it? exclaimed Cash, opening his eyes still wider and then recovering himself. He asked to see the tone. Mercer pointed to the crossbars and rollers. With trembling hands, with a resolution that would enable a man to be scalped without winking, Cash reached out his hand and seized the handle of the crank. Cash, at heart, was a brave and fearless man. He gave it a turn. The machinery grated harshly and seemed to clamor for something to be put in its maw. "'What delicious sounds!' said Cash. "'Beautiful!' observed the complacent Mercer, at the same time seizing Cash's arm and asking him to desist for fear of breaking the instrument or getting it out of tune. The simple caution was sufficient, and Cash, in the joy of the moment at what he had done and seen, looked as conceited as Moe himself. Busy indeed was Cash from this time forward in explaining to gaping crowds the exact appearance of the piano, how he had actually taken hold of it, and, as his friend Mo Mercer observed, pulled music out of it. The curiosity of the village was thus allayed, and consequently died comparatively away. Cash, however, having risen to almost as much importance as Mo Mercer for having seen and handled the thing. Our northern family knew little or nothing of all this excitement. They received, meanwhile, the visits and congratulations of the hospitable villagers, and resolved to give a grand party to return some of the kindness they had received. And the piano was, for the first time, moved into the parlor. No invitation on this occasion was neglected. Early at the post was every visitor for it was rumored that Miss Patience Doolittle would, in the course of the evening, perform on the piano. The excitement was immense. The supper was passed over with a contempt rivaling that which is cast upon an excellent farce played preparatory to a dull tragedy in which the star is to appear. The furniture was all critically examined, but nothing could be discovered answering Cash's description. An enormously thick-leaf table with a spread upon it attracted little attention. Timber being so very cheap in a new country, and so everybody expected soon to see the piano brought in. Mercer, of course, was the hero of the evening. He talked much and loudly. Cash, as well as several young ladies, went into hysterics at his wit. Mercer, as the evening wore away, grew exceedingly conceited even for him and he graciously asserted that the company present reminded him of his two visits to the capital and other associations equally exclusive and peculiar. The evening wore on apace, and still no piano. That hope deferred which maketh the heart sick was felt by some elderly ladies and by a few younger ones, and Mercer was solicited to ask Miss Patience Doolittle to favor the company with the presence of the piano. Certainly said Mercer, 
with the grace of a city dandy he called upon the lady to gratify all present with a little music prefacing his request with the remark that if she was fatigued his friend cash would give the machine a turn miss patience smiled and looked at cash cash's knees trembled all eyes in the room turned upon him cash trembled all over miss patience said she was gratified to hear that mr cash was a musician she admired people who had a musical taste whereupon cash fell into a chair as he afterward observed chawed up oh that beau brummel or any of his admirers could have seen mo mercer all this while calm as a summer morning complacent as a newly painted sign he smiled and patronized and was the only unexcited person in the room miss patience rose a sigh escaped from all present the piano was evidently to be brought in she approached the thick-leaf table and removed the covering throwing it carelessly and gracefully aside opened the instrument and presented the beautiful arrangement of dark and white keys mo mercer at this for the first time in his life looked confused he was cash's authority in his descriptions of the appearance of the piano while cash himself began to recover the moment that he ceased to be an object of attention many a whisper now ran through the room as to the tones and more particularly the crank none could see them miss patience took her seat ran her fingers over a few octaves and if moses in egypt was not perfectly executed moses in hard scrabble was the dulcet sound ceased miss said cash the moment that he could express himself so entranced was he by the music miss doolittle what was that instrument mo mercer showed me in your gallery once it went by a crank and had rollers in it it was now the time for miss patience to blush so away went the blood from confusion to her cheeks she hesitated stammered and said if mr cash must know it was uh, a yankee washing machine the name grated on mo mercer's ears as if rusty nails had been thrust into them and heretofore invulnerable mercer's knees trembled the sweat started to his brow and he heard the taunting whispers of visiting the capital twice and seeing pianos as plenty as woodchucks the fashionable vices of envy and maliciousness were at that moment sown in the village of hardscrabble and mo mercer the great the confident the happy and self-possessed surprising as it may seem was the first victim sacrificed to their influence time wore on and pianos became common and mo mercer less popular and he finally disappeared altogether on the evening of the day on which a yankee peddler of notions sold to the highest bidder six patent warranted and improved mo mercer pianos end of a piano in arkansas reading by marty chris